Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must believe that he is in existence. We must believe that he is God. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Also, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. We ask Heavenly Father that you direct our uh, meager thoughts this evening. You'd empower them and lift them up. and May they certainly be in accord with your word. But Lord, with, with an application, with a point, your point, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. Glorify yourself, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> Noah. What's Noah best known for? For what is he best known? If you didn't assume that this was a trick question, which you might do if I when I do that sort of thing. If this wasn't a trick question, you might say, well, Noah is known for the ark, building that ark. And by extension, he's known for, in regard to the flood. Often the deluge is erroneously called Noah's flood, the Noahic flood. It wasn't Noah's flood, it was God's flood. <coughs> After a little more thought, you might say that Noah was the one who saved all the air-breathing creatures on the earth by taking two of them into the ark. And even more than that, more importantly than that, Noah saved a remnant of humanity. And from his family, humanity once again filled the earth. Once again, sadly, Made it just as wretched as it was before, if not worse, or yeah, close to it anyway. Without, with those answers, and perhaps with a few more in our heads, we read Hebrews six, chapter 11, 6 through 8. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. For what should Noah be most famous? What should we know him for above all other things? If we use nothing but Hebrews to find an answer, then Noah should be known for his faith above all things. But there's a second question to consider. What did Noah's faith do? 
Because he believed God, because he, the message that he received from the Lord, he trusted and knew that this was going to come to pass. Because, he, because of his faith in the Lord, Noah built an ark. James reminds us that faith without works is dead. Noah had faith. He built an ark. Along with Noah, I'd like to add his friend in the faith, Abraham, as our illustrations for the lesson this evening. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Even, even though Paul's primary thought was faith, Noah's faith, Abraham's faith, his point was that in each case, their faith did something. Maybe that's not Paul's primary point, but that's going to be our primary point this evening. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. And by faith, Abraham obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Turning this illustration inside out, or maybe it's uh, looking at the chapter upside down or something like that. My subject, subject tonight is obedience's most important element. The most important element in obedience. Before getting to that point, just a few comments, general thoughts about obedience. They're so obvious that some people might think it's a waste of time to bring these things up. But perhaps because they are so obvious, they need to be brought up because we skip over them ordinarily. These things are so clear, so plain, we don't think about them. Oh, maybe we should think about them from time to time. For example, the Bible is filled with exhortations to obey God. I mean, filled from cover to cover with exhortations to obey the Lord. Deuteronomy 26, 26. This day the Lord thy God commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments. Thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. A couple of chapters later, and I'll stop with this one. Chapter 32. Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe, to do all the words of this law. The Bible is filled with exhortations that we should do what he tells us to do. And then after the dozens and dozens of exhortations, we have dozens of verses that encourage us, encourage us to obey the Lord. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, Joshua, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt have, then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. We're encouraged to obey. Joshua is encouraged to obey because in that obedience was success and prosperity. For Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Come on. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. We have exhortations. We have uh, encouragements. And along with these come indirect encouragements through examples. We could read through Hebrews chapter 11. Just about every one of the people in this chapter were not only people of faith, that's Paul's primary message, but they did things as a result of their faith. They were obedient to the Lord in these things. Enoch, Abel, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. It's not my purpose to get into this uh, noble throng of people. Skipping over them, Suffice it to say that the best of the best of obedient people in the Word of God was the Lord Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. We are supposed to be obedient people. The lost are supposed to obey God. They're not going to do it for the most part. We are children of God. It should be a part of our nature to obey the Lord. Following the exhortations and the encouragements and the examples, there's plenty of evidence which says there are blessings in obedience. Do it. Exodus 19.5 Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. We go from Genesis and Exodus back to the last book in the Bible, nearly the end, Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. They may enter in through the gates of the city. With Hebrews chapter 11 in front of us, we should have an easy answer to my initial question. What is obedience's most important element? If we hadn't already read Hebrews 11, uh, we might have some good answers that aren't quite uh, on target. What is the most important element of obedience? In order to obey the Lord properly, we need to know what he would have us to do. If we don't know what he wants, then how can we obey? That's pretty important. As most of you who are here tonight know, uh, Sahaley has a new puppy, a new dog. That dog has the intelligence of a poodle. In other words, it's not an IQ of 180, slightly, slightly less than that. For the most part, I think that Bindi would like to obey and please her mistress. But she doesn't have the mental capacity or the knowledge to know all of the things that uh, Sahili would like her to do. She just lacks knowledge in a great many areas, many, many areas, <laughs> many areas. Uh, but she's getting there. And remembering that our relationship to Jehovah is even more distant than a poodle is from a person. 
sometimes, many times, we aren't obedient because we haven't figured out the way to do our duty. To know God's will is important toward our obedience. And that's why God told, to, told Joshua, uh, remember this book of the law that I'm giving to you. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do those things which I expect of you. Despite the importance of knowing what to do to please the Lord, there is something more important than that. And despite appearing to be obvious, the ability to obey is not supreme either. For example, an 18-year-old young lady may have the skill to preach a wonderful gospel message. But I don't believe that she'd be, she should be invited to preach in my place next Sunday morning. For her to preach would not be an act of obedience. Even though there are commands out there to preach the gospel to every creature throughout the world. It would be outside of God's revealed will for that young lady to preach the gospel in a Baptist church. Also, an eight-year-old boy should not be criticized for not volunteering to preach next Sunday. Most likely, this eight-year-old will not have the ability to do it well. So, let's just let him grow up a little bit and learn some more and, and, and go from there. Ability to obey is not the most important ingredient in obedience. As been said by many, more important than ability is availability. And I will add amenability, that is a willingness to obey. These are important things. This means that another important ingredient in the kind of obedience which pleases God is a person's attitude. Obedience which is forced by law Obedience which is driven by a whip is not the kind of obedience that pleases the Lord. God said to Israel, I want you to do these things which please me. Do them with all your heart and all your soul. Our infinitely capable God could create an army, a vast army of robots to do his will. Certainly could do that. But he's chosen not to. That kind of obedience doesn't really glorify him. We should all be willing to support the Lord's work with our financial offerings. But to tithe the way a Pharisee tithes is not necessarily pleasing to the Lord. Not needing our money God doesn't want us to give grudgingly. He doesn't want us to give out of necessity. We are told in 2 Corinthians that he wants us to be cheerful givers. Attitude, obedience, mixed with attitude, the right attitude. I don't believe that the Lord wants us to count our pennies. 98, 99, this one belongs to God. 
That's not the sort of obedience that he's looking for. The most important element in obedience is not knowledge, it's not ability, it's not attitude. Even though these things may be relatively important in, in certain ways. Obedience's most important ingredient is faith. I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain this as well as I wish I could. So, you have to stay alert. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, Abraham obeyed, not knowing where he was going. He obeyed by faith. Every once in a while, we need to stop and ask ourselves, why do I do these things which God has commanded me to do? Is it because he has commanded me to do them? Are there other things? Why do I preach the gospel? Why do we pray? Why do we love one another? Why do we struggle to overcome personal sin? Why did Noah build the ark? That question in regard to Noah could be answered in a number of different ways. Is anyone it or do we mix them all together? Why do we obey the Lord? We do these things that we might be pleasing to the Lord. And in pleasing the Lord, then we are blessed. That's why I do it, so I can be blessed. We do these things as souls might be saved. We do these things that our, our church might be strengthened in order to evangelize the world. We fight the good fight of faith in order that our grandchildren will have the same opportunity to hear the gospel that we had. All of these things, while not exactly wrong, miss the mark at the center of the target. More important than these things, our primary purpose in all that we do should be the Lord's glory. Yes, no. The Lord's glory. The one who saved us, the one who redeemed us. We want to please him. We want to glorify him. So we do the things that he tells us to do. Just as our service should be for his glory, just as our sacrifice should be for his glory, our obedience should be for his glory as well. More often than not, that requires faith on our part. Take preaching the gospel as an example. I have learned through the years, no matter how hard I study and how hard I prepare, the results of that Sunday morning are up to God. And often, the better I feel about a sermon before it's preached, the less I feel about that sermon after it's been preached. I need to preach in faith. I beseech you for your prayers that I might have faith and that you would receive the message in faith. Faith is key. But getting back to obedience generally, or not so general. Abraham's faith. What sort of things should our faith contain? Verse number six. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. 
and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We need to trust God to be God. That sounds simplistic. It's true. For example, we must have faith in the God who has a right to command us to do these things. It's his area, not ours. If someone came to me with a commandment that he said he received from Zeus or Thor or somebody, I would uh, probably just walk away wondering about the man's sanity. But our God is not some imaginary deity. He's not some fiction. He's a creator. He is the judge. Laying aside everything else that God is as the beginning and the end, as the creator and the judge of all things, believing just these two things, when Jehovah tells us to jump, we should jump. Yes. He created us. He will judge us. He says, jump. Then it's time for us to jump. He has the right to command our obedience. He who saved our souls is worthy of our trust when he tells us to expend our bodies. Our souls are safe. Our bodies are temporal. He who has promised mansions in glory is worthy of our obedience when he tells us to move from Ur of the Chaldees to wherever he wants us to move. He who has given us skills and talents should be obeyed when he says, use this skill here, use that talent over there. He who really is God should be obeyed. We can trust him. He's God. And because of what the Bible teaches about God, we should have faith that he is righteous in all of the things that he orders us to do. The Lord would never have us do something which is immoral by his standard. He would never have us do anything sinful. When Noah started cutting down uh, those gopher trees, at first there were a couple of dozen. And then there were a couple of hundred. And now we're cutting down a thousand trees to build that ark. And it could have been those early tree huggers might have accused him of some sort of environmental crime for cutting down all these gopher trees. But if God said do it, it doesn't matter what the world says. There's nothing wrong with obeying God. There never will be anything wrong with obeying God. He's always right. Obedience to God is not a crime. It is not a sin. God cannot sin and he does not tempt us to sin. James 1.13 We can and should obey in faith knowing that what we have been ordered to do by the Lord is always right. Furthermore, the Bible tells us that our God is a deity of love. We can trust the Lord who orders us to do such and such. One day he appeared to Abram and said, I want you to leave your homeland and your family and your vegetable garden and the burial places of your ancestors. We aren't told how God appeared to Abram. 
We aren't told whether it was a dream or a vision or uh, the second person of the Godhead appeared as the angel of the Lord standing right in front of Abraham. We're not told. It may have simply been the Holy Spirit speaking to the man's surrendered heart. The Lord does that sort of thing. Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. I don't know whether or not Abraham trusted God's love at that point, but he did trust the God who loved him, whether he understood it or not. He did trust the Lord. When the Lord lays upon the heart of a young man to go to Indochina as a missionary, he can rest assured that God is not punishing him by sending him as a missionary. He's not chastising him for his lack of Bible study or whatever. The Lord loves that one that he's commanding, that he's directing. When God tells someone to sacrifice his good paying job for uh, a, a lesser job, but one that will allow him to have more opportunity to serve him, serve the Lord, then it's, it reveals God's love. When God tells someone to serve, it's, it's a, a declaration. I love you. I, I long to have you obedient to me. What I'm trying to say is that when God tells us to obey him, we can do it if we have faith to trust him. This is your will. You do care about me. You govern the end results of my service. It may be that God's command involves something which would prove to be difficult. Being a missionary in Indochina. The more difficult the task, the more essential it is to trust the commander who's ordered this task. Faith. We may not see the purpose of the end of that command. And we may even hear others argue against our obedience. But putting into practice the faith with the, which the Lord has given us, obedience should come easy, relatively so. Abraham, time to move. Yes, sir. Where do you want me to go? I'll just direct each step that you take. Victory will be given by the Lord at the point when, when God intends it to be victorious. Not before. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went.